Okay, let's look at Bible meets life. Someone read that, please. Believe it or not, about 10% of us actually look forward to public speaking. At the other end of the spectrum, about 10% of us dread it to the point of great anxiety. The 80% of us left in the middle would rather not speak in public, but we'll do it if we have to. It's one thing when you've called on in a meeting to answer a question or give a brief report. We don't have time to get nervous. But if our boss tells us that we must make a major presentation in three weeks, we have plenty of time to think about it, and thinking about it makes us nervous. The nervousness is greatly multiplied when we can, when we can say, when what we say carries significant consequences. Boldness in speaking does not come easy. Courage to do the right thing in a risky situation does not come easy either. Yet in Esther, we see a woman who did both. Lives were at stake. If she didn't speak and act boldly, thousands would die. But if she acted courageously, yet blundered, bl yet blundered it, well, she would make matters worse. Okay. And what is the point? Be bold, but believe the results to God. Is that something we always do? No. Uh, sometimes we are bold, but we try to take matters into our own hands, right? Uh, for, for some, boldness comes easier than for others. But we are all called to be bold when justice rears its ugly head. Esther modeled well for us the kind of boldness we should display. And we'll see that as we go into the text. So let's look at the first passage. Um, the first, well, we got seven verses there, but let's look at the, let's read the first three verses. Uh, page 115. Just the first three verses. The king and Haman came to feast with Esther the queen. Once again, on the second day while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to have the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request. Okay, let's look at the verses, the paragraphs beneath that. Now continue reading that. The events. The events, read that? Yeah. Okay. The events of the last few days all came down to this moment, the ultimate act of courage. It was time to expose all, and Esther did just that, revealing <coughs> both her Jewish identity and Haman's evil plans. She appealed to the king to act, even as she had prayed, fasted, and appealed to God to act. God already had been at work. The night before, King Harasaurus had spent a sleepless night. Surely this was not mere coincidence, but insomnia brought about by God. In that moment of sleeplessness, the king had daily reports read to him, and he heard of Mordecai's unheralded acts of heroism. Okay, let's look at that passage. <coughs> 
That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigdana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Okay, continue reading, sister. Continue. Perhaps shamed by his failure to properly reward Mordecai, the king instructed Haman to honor Mordecai, the very person Haman despised. <laughs> <Wow>. Okay, <laughs> let's look at the rest of those verses. <laughs> From verses 4, uh, Esther 6, chapter 6, verse 4 to 11. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang, hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, who would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, <laughs> who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have just spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horse back through the city square, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Yeah. <laughs> Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? Continue, sister. Virginia. Now at the banquet, the king learned that both his wife and the man he had just honored were scheduled to die. And the man at the table was the one who had manipulated him into devising the scheme. Haman had been exposed, and he stood terrified. The word used to describe Haman's reaction was normally used in the Old Testament for the fear and trembling people experience at a divine encounter. A couple of verses there. Um, uh, First Chronicles 21.30 and Daniel 1. Any one of those verses? First Chronicles 21.30 But David was not able to go there to inquire of God because he was terrified by the drawn sword of the angel of the Lord. This is the same kind of fear that Mordecai experienced. And then Daniel 8.17 So he came uh, near to where I was standing and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face but he said to me 
Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Okay, so that same kind of fear that we read in these two verses is the same kind of fear that um, that Haman has experienced. Continue, Sister Virginia. Haman knew he had just angered the most powerful man in the world, and he rightly trembled and feared. Esther exposed this dark deed with great boldness, but she also did it with wisdom. Number one, Esther didn't point the finger blame at the king. Though King Harassus had unwittingly signed her death warrant, she appealed both to his innocence and his self-interest. In verse four, Esther implied that the destruction of the Jews would mean wiping out a part of the workforce and economy, spelling great financial loss for the king. Number two, Esther spoke on behalf of others. She didn't simply advocate for her own life. She spoke up for all her people. Esther entered into the suffering of her people. <clears throat> Esther could have paved to fear in that moment. She could have simply kept silent, turning a blind eye to the injustices in Persia against the Jewish people. But she used the opportunity before her to give a voice to her people. In the process, she gave us a great example of living out Paul's words. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, Ephesians 5:11. Christians also have opportunities to speak up against injustice. We may not have a royal title, but we all have voices. Some people may choose to disregard the injustices around them. Others may want to appear especially spiritual, focus only on sharing the gospel and getting people to heaven. I don't get involved in these issues. I just preach the gospel. But God calls us to look out for others. We have times we are to pray and act. We find times we are to lend our voices in speaking up for those who are too often neglected. The unborn, the immigrant, the minority, or the underprivileged. We can be a voice to advocate for the most vulnerable among us. Okay, to uh, look at the, the two first paragraphs there. Um, the events of the last few days all came down to this moment. This ultimate act of courage. It was time to expose all, and Esther did just that, revealing both her Jewish identity and Haman's evil plan. She appealed to the king to act, even as she prayed, notice, as she prayed, fasted, and appealed to God to act. So she didn't act on her own. She was totally dependent on God, even though she was standing with boldness. She realized that she was dependent on God and what she was doing. God already had been at work. Isn't he always? Yes. You know, sometimes we think that God is not doing anything and we cry out, Lord, when are you going to move? When are you going to act? And God is always working. He's always acting. Why? Because he's omniscient. He always knows what's going on. Now, he just wants us to admit it when he tells us to pray. He wants us to acknowledge it. All right, when, he, uh, when, when, when uh, Satan appeared before God in the book of Job, 
And God says, uh, you know, where have we been? He was actually saying, well, what have we been up to? Admit what you have been up to. God already knew what he was up to. All right, so God is always at work. He always knows. The night before, King Ahasuerus had spent a sleepless night. Surely, this was not a mere coincidence, but insomnia brought on by God. See how God works? Now, we don't know. It doesn't tell us how long it was between the time when this happened and when Mordecai prevented the king's assassination. We don't know. Um, scripture doesn't tell us. But God orchestrated it in such a way that God gave him a sleepless night. And what else could he do? Well, bring the records. I want to do some reading. Do we do that when we have insomnia? Yeah. God orchestrated it. All right. So they brought the records. The king had daily reports read to him and read Mordecai's unheralded acts of heroism. Heroism. And perhaps... Shamed by his failure to probably reward Mordecai, the king instructed Haman, of all the people, again, God, God, what does God say about vengeance? He says it's mine, right? God says, I own vengeance, that's mine, don't touch it, it belongs to me. And here we see this played out. Played out. Imagine what Mordecai must have been feeling. I mean, he had been humiliated. In chapter 6, the suspense increases as King Erasmus enjoyed a sleepless night. He did what kings do in those days to cure insomnia. He read, like what we do. He ordered a book to come to be brought to him, which had all the kings, all the records of the kings. And, uh, and we see here God's providential hand designed that the reading include an occasion when Mordecai had saved the king from assassination by two of his guards. Isn't it interesting? It's always those who are closest to the king who tries to get rid of him. When Ahasuerus learned nothing had been done to recognize Mordecai for his act, the king asked Haman, what should be done for the man who wanted the king? Isn't it arrogant of him to think that the king was talking about him? That's how, how full of arrogance and pride he was. I mean, he could think of no one else other than himself. Oh yeah, finally the king is going to honor me. So arrogantly assuming the king wanted to honor him, Haman responded with esteemed individual that the esteemed individual should receive royal treatment. Imagine Haman's shock when the king commanded him to honor Mordecai as he suggested and you know he, and he has already set up his pole to impale Mordecai he hated Mordecai everybody was bowing to him and honoring him except Mordecai of all the persons in the world he didn't want it to be this person everybody knew how it felt about right and so as the chapter ends the king's servant rushed Taman to the second banquet that Esther had prepared. And so the king and Haman went to this feast. Question number two. What do you find interesting about Esther's overall handling of the situation? What do you find most interesting about how she handled this whole situation? Hmm? She was very diplomatic, yes. She was humble. All right. What else? She prayed every time she was about to do something. She prayed. 
Okay, she did everything with water and prayer. Uh, not only prayer, but fasting. Okay, so this is well thought out and well planned. And she could have asked for things for herself because he told her to have his kingdom. So she could have been like, okay, forget them all of Jews. Right, she could have been selfish. Right, she'd been given carte blanche. All right. Okay. All right, we are we are to expose the, the deeds of darkness, like the word tells that the word of God tells us. Uh, we should always expose the works of works of darkness. Okay, if we see it, we come across it, we we are aware it of it. We have to expose it. And the next verse is, we'll see Esther continue to do just that. So let's look at the next passage, uh, uh, verses four to six. Verses four to six. We read verse one to. One to three. Now we're going to read four to six. Uh, someone read that, please. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and extermination. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Harassus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? <laughs> Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is this evil Haman. Oh, boy. <laughs> stood terrified before the king and queen. Okay. Continue reading. Red. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's look at. Yeah. Okay. Notice some highlights. Uh, some highlights. Just two. Two highlights. Haman had been exposed, and what was the reaction? He was terrified, right? We looked at the two passages in the Old Testament to describe the kind of terror that he went through. All right. Oh yeah. The real proverbial rock and a hard place. Where do you go? What do you do? Okay. So Esther exposed this dark deed, and she did it with great boldness. She wasn't timid at all. Okay, but, but she also did it with wisdom. She was wise about how she went about it. And then the second point is, we can be a voice to advocate for the most vulnerable among us as well. So Esther gives us an example of just how we can do that. All right? She gives us a blueprint. She serves as a model. Uh, we may know of individuals around us who are, who are vulnerable, and they need somebody to speak up for them. Okay? Esther just gave us a good example and model of how to do that. Question number three. What are some fears that often hinder us from speaking out against darkness around us? What are some of the things that we fear that prevent us from doing that? Well, she said, if I perish, I perish. Okay. Does she know that could have cost some life? Okay, harm to ourselves. Okay, so we fear, we fear persecution. Right. All right, or backlash. Especially in the society that we live in and the kind of world that we live in. You know? Mm -hmm. Another question. What are some injustices that 
all believers need to stand up and speak against. Think, think of some of the injustices that we have around us that really, we really need to speak up against. Should we think of some of them? All of us need to speak up against the web shop which is destroying our country. The web shop gaming, yes. Which is destroying our country. And they are proliferating. <laughs> and there's supposed to be a law to keep them away from areas where churches and schools are. But they're exploding. They're all over the place. You know, um, uh, but uh, Marie and Charlie went to talk to the folks over there. Uh, about this web shop on it. You know, this is your manual in business. Yeah. Uh, okay, mind your own business. I don't know what we voted for. We don't. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Okay, so you got a web shop there, and Calvary is here, and you've got the school over there, and then you get another school up the street, you know, and it's supposed to be no less than a hundred yards or something like that from. Yes, yeah, right. But, you know, it's. Okay, so that's one of the injustices. Uh, what are some of the others? Um, this was, according to the law of the land, they always speak about we're going to have swift justice, but we haven't seen that yet. Okay, swift justice. There's supposed to be a program for that, but it never happens, right? Okay, what are some of the other uh, injustices that we see, that we need to stand up and speak against? We got gaming, we got the, the law drags its feet when people and then as a result of the law dragging in their feet, you have what they call vigilante justice. Okay, people are taking matters into their own hands. Many of the people who get killed on the streets, some of them die with ankle bracelets, many of them die because they're out on bail. Uh, so the justice system is, is slow, it creeps, it crawls. Brother Randy, I am sure that many of you all realize and knows this, but all through the world, that I've read, there is, no, there is no commissioner of police who is a native or who is a resident of the country or a resident where he lives, but he becomes the commissioner of police. There is nowhere. The commissioner of police, let's say from Miami, and come from New York or California or some other place. The commissioners of police are not a resident of where he is being commissioner of police. Therefore, I would honestly say this, and I care less about it. The commissioner of police here should come from some Commonwealth country with, with senior men who can carry out, without favor to anyone, the law of the land. Mm. Yeah. That, that used to happen in the older days. So. Yes, I know yeah, that. Some, many of uh, the senior police officers came from other Caribbean countries. Right, but, but I'm still saying at the same time, it don't have to be from the Caribbean, it come from the Commonwealth mm. of Nations, Canada, mm. United Kingdom, Ireland, etc., etc. And therefore, <laughs> I think that you would have a better society here. Mm -hmm. Because don't care how you look at it, somebody in the police force knows somebody here. <laughs> As the Irishman, he will tell you straight and plain the, the price is five pounds or, or six months in prison. Long and short of it. Next case. But some, something has to be done because I, I've, seen, I've seen experiences where uh, persons would get a ticket for breaking the law. And as soon as that, the ticket, the ink on that ticket isn't dry quick enough, they're thinking, oh boy, I wonder who I know in the police force yeah. you can get rid of this. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 You know, it happens all the time. But listen, 
Be aware of various of these things. The Bible said, money answered all questions. You get money, every question is answered. That money, the Bible is all good. The Bible said, money answered all questions. Money corrupts. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We don't really enforce things, like small things. You know, maybe sometimes you'll run a red light and put this one right there. And you don't try to do the burden at all. They just basically let it happen. So that's that, and then other things happen. And then my friend was telling me her brother-in-law is a young police, so they work like that shift at 4 a.m. or something, and they, they're allowed to have a, a lay down time. They can sleep on their shift, and I was like, well, what happened? Because we normally, we, we used to run like from Montague, so they don't turn back. And so right there by that um, tourism police station, they're allowed to like have a nap between maybe 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. They can lay down. I was like... So who's the requirement that's leaving? But can you get more? <laughs> Why do you have to leave with me to sleep? Go home and let somebody who's already had their time to sleep come and be on, on thing. But I mean, we have a lot of slackness here. I don't know how. Oh, you so we need to probably bring the British back right. or something like that. We're very yeah. slack as a nation yeah, in everything the, that we do. Yeah. The island is very small and everybody knows everybody it's else. Slack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, people get breaks. Uh, accident Sometimes the accident occurs on the street, and the police sometimes pass by. Okay, let's look at the other passage we have. Uh, chapter 7, verses 7 to 10. Chapter 7, verses 7 to 10. Let's read that. The king arose in anger and went from where they were drinking wine to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Would he actually violate the queen while I am in the house? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, there is a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king said, hang him on it. They hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question number four. Before we get to the, to the comments there, look at question number four. What are the practical consequences of leaving vengeance in God's hands? What are the practical consequences? He can do it better than you. I was just yeah. going to say that. Exactly. Exactly. Look at how God orchestrated Haman's demise. Only God could have done something like that. Okay. Look at what happened. Uh, uh, the king. The king went out into the garden. Uh, to catch his breath, right? While he was out, Haman's begging for his life, and he trips. He trips, and he falls on the sofa where the queen is. At the same particular point of time when the king comes back. And the king says, what? Now you're trying to assault the queen right in my presence? 
<laughs> and that sealed his fate. That sealed his fate. Only God could have orchestrated that. This is what godly vengeance looks like. This is what it looks like when God takes matters into his, his own hands uh, rather than us doing it on ourselves, by ourselves. And notice what happened. Um, everybody was conscious of the fact that um, Haman's days were ended. Because as soon as the king came in and the king said, what, will you have sold the queen in my presence? <laughs> the last word out left out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. What does it mean when someone's face is covered like that? It means that they have been sentenced to death. That's a sign that they've been sentenced to death. When you go into the kingdom and they cover your face, that's it. Your history. Okay, let's look at the comments there um, for those verses. Someone read that, please. Now that Esther planned, prayed, fasted, and finally spoken up, what was next? She could do nothing but wait, but she wouldn't have to wait long. History records the king was well known for his temper. At times he could be an unstable and vindictive decision maker. Consider how easily he tossed out Queen Vashti because she refused to be paraded in front of others. Go on. Yeah, go on. And how haphazardly he signed onto Haman's genocide plan. Okay. That's the kind of person you do not want to upset. And in this moment, the king's anger surfaced. Let's not assume the king immediately knew what. Let's not assume the king immediately knew what to do. We've all had those moments when anger clouded our thoughts. Perhaps that's why the king left the room. He needed to to get away from the man who angered him so that he could clear his thoughts. He had to make a decision nobody else could make for him. His advisors were all bereft of wisdom, and he couldn't ask Haman since he was the problem. <laughs> Although the king had no human advisors to lean on, the sovereign lord of the universe was not absent on that day. The king's heart is like channel water in the Lord's hand. He, he directs it wherever he chooses. King Ahasuerus had a history of rash decisions, but in this moment he made the right choice. He put this enemy of the people to death, and soon he would empower the Jews to stand against those who sought to harm them. Now that he had been exposed, Haman rightfully feared vengeance. In desperation, he literally threw himself on the mercy of the queen. How ironic that Haman brought all this on himself because a Jew would not bow before him. Yet he now fell before a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> the irony continued in that the gallows Haman built to kill his enemy was used to kill him. <laughs> Seeing people who are hurt, abused, or taken advantage of pulls at our hearts. We want to see the wrong righted, punishment delivered, and justice served. We do what we can on, our, on behalf of others, but we must leave any vengeance in the hands of God. God's justice will come, and not just against the Hamans in this world. In reality, we are all like Haman. At our core, we are dead in our sins and given to the temptations of power, lust, and greed. We are not the good and noble people we think we are. We are all sinful people deserving death. 
See Romans six twenty three. Go on, right? Yeah. What does Romans six twenty three say? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, right? We know that by heart, right? Okay, like Haman, sorry. Go ahead. Like Haman, we can prostrate ourselves before our king, begging for mercy for our sins and crimes committed against him. But unlike Haman, we have someone who is willing to stand in our place and face the judgment for us. Jesus went to the cross so that we could receive the mercy of God. What's more, by his resurrection, Jesus defeated the corruption that infects human hearts. As a result, we have life. All right. All right, so a um, couple of points there um, that we need to keep in mind. History records that Ahasuerus was well known for his temper. He had a bad temper. At times he could be unstable and an unstable and vindictive decision maker. The second point we noticed that the king had to make a decision nobody else could make for him. And then the third point is King Ahasuerus made a history of rash decisions. But at this moment, he made the right choice. He put his enemy, he put this enemy of the people to death, and soon he would empower the Jews against those who sought to harm them. The last question, number five. Where do we, where do we have opportunities to be bold about justice in our community? Just think of one place where we have an opportunity to be bold about justice in our communities. Anybody? You're speaking about justice right here now. <laughs> one of we mentioned the web shop. Is that the major one? No, one of them. Or is there others? In your in your community. In your neighborhood. Where do you have an opportunity to be bold about justice? Anybody? Well, you can speak to the house. Okay. I turned down a Bahamas government project recently. Um, going back to 2003, I was the space planner for the Ministry of Education head office on Thompson Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Then the head of this college ship division, um, Mr. Reginald Saunders, he was in charge of the scholarship division. And um, having successfully done that project, I was a little bit back then, having successfully done that project for Reginald Saunders, he was recently transferred to the Ministry of Health. Mm -hmm. That's at the building on um, Meeting Street. Mm -hmm. Every 10 years, the Bahamas government will give me a project, whether it's FNM or PLP or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, Reginald Saunders, having been transferred from the scholarship division to Meeting Street for six months at the Ministry of Health, he called me and he said, um, Mr. Edgecombe, um, we have to relocate a section of the Ministry of Health to a new location. Mm -hmm. And we would want you to look at uh, 
uh, space planning design layout for the star. So I said, well, where, where is his new location? So um, he said, going to grow. And I said, we aren't going to grow. So he said, the new building opposite King's Way. So I said, I said to this civil servant, if that project was valued $10 million, I would not accept it. I turned it down. I said, I cannot see a, a country where our citizen voted against gambling, 35 to 3 in a referendum, and three referendums, the citizen of this country voted three times. First time it was 35 to 3, second time it was 35 to 3, the good Lord have a sense of humor. And on the last election, the result was 35 to 4. The added seat got through that back of the government face the result was still 35 to 3. So I said, I cannot accept a, a project where I'm further enhancing something that my heart is totally against, pleasing all the poor, yeah. increasing poverty in our country. Mm -hmm. I did not accept the project, and I turned it down. Amen. Praise the Lord. The last one way we can stand up against injustice. Okay, when we are evidently aware of what's going on, uh, we can stand up for it, uh, regardless of what it may cost us. Okay, let's look at um, how we can flesh this out. Uh, page 120. What steps will you take to stand up for others? Choose one of the following applications. Pray, I guess to did. Ask the Lord to reveal ways you can use what he's given you your time, possessions, influence, and position to speak out against evil and injustice in our society. And that's what Brother Eskin just, just talked about, what he did. And then uh, we, can, we, can, we can look. Do some research into opportunities in your community to help fight justice. And you can always find those. And then act. As a group, properly consider what you can do either through your local church or a trusted local organization to help make a difference in the area God is calling you to serve. Okay, and that's something we can do as a group. If you think there's something that we can do as a group in our community, uh, we're doing a lot now. Uh, through Care Kitchen and Operation In As Much, probably there's something else. You may not be a skilled public speaker. <laughs> But all of us have been given a voice that God wants us to use to be salt and light and light in this world. Be bold, but leave the results to God. Let's not be hindered by what the results might be. In other words, be bold and do what you need to do and let God handle the results. So be bold, but leave the results to God is our point today. Amen? Amen. Amen.